Good morning, everybody. It's always a joy to, to speak with Christmas coming up. It's also a challenge because most people have got Christmas so wrong because they don't actually understand that the most incredible thing about Christmas is that the babe who was born in the manger is today the Christ on the throne. And the reality that it's God coming to this earth. And he's coming for a purpose. And that is to bring love and life and joy to all those who will surrender to him. Uh, that's because Christianity is not a religion. Think for a minute. Religion has a definition. A religion is something that tells you about God, uh, who he is, what he is, where he is, and about you, who you are, what you are, where you are. And in that definition, Christianity is not a religion. It also means that Christianity is not the best of the religions. Uh, it's way down the level. Um, if you want a good religion, I'll help you today. Um, arguably, the best is Judaism. And uh, I'm sure that Jonathan can tell you the local synagogue. Um, Islam has a lot to commend it because it will tell you what to do, when to do it, and where to do it. And Christianity does not fall into that category. So Christianity is not a religion. <laughs> I'm sorry if I've caused offense already. <laughs> let, me call, let me call some more. Because if you want a really good religion, don't become a Christian. Because it will not tell you about God. It will introduce you to him. It will not tell you the details of how you should live. It will bring you into a relationship with the God who will come and live that way through you. In fact, the amazing thing about Christianity is it's not about a list of rules and regulations, contrary to what most Christians believe. It's opening up a relationship where God can come and give you all that you need to do in him, through him, and for him. And that's what makes Christianity so incredible. It's not the best religion available in America. It's the only relationship with God that's on offer because no one else claims this. Christianity alone does. That's why it's so sad that Christians have stopped the claim. And nowhere is that more obvious than at Christmas. Because Christmas is not about a God who came to show mercy, to show grace, a God to teach you how to give presents or anything like that. Christmas is about a God who came to this earth to be God with us. Christianity is about a God who came to bring us all that we need as a gift from God. Christianity is about a God who doesn't stay 2,000 miles above us or 2,000 years ago. It's about a God who comes to bring us into the reality of all he wants to give us, all he wants to make us to be, all he wants to do in us and through us. That's why it's almost impossible to hear the good news of Jesus and not to say, hallelujah, what a savior. When Jonathan gave me the, this passage, he gave me the, the subtext. So he told me what he wanted me to say. <laughs> well, I 
Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> Quite often, I have a wife who does it regularly. <laughs> Christianity is about a redeemer God. Christianity is about the God who comes to rescue us, not the God who comes to lay down the law for us, but the God who comes to fulfill the law in us and through us. That's why it's so incredible to know and love this Jesus. And that's why it's amazing to think that the living God would come and be born as a babe in a manger in order that today he might be the Christ upon the throne waiting to meet you one day when he comes to take you home. I suppose I could say amen and go and sit down after that. <laughs> Job done. But let me try and explain it from Isaiah chapter 35. It's an incredible story about this God who comes to rescue us. He comes to stop the silence and start up the singing. Most of us have forgotten, I think, that religious faith at the time that Jesus came was a silent faith. In fact, God hadn't said anything for 400 years, which is a bit sobering, really. You may say, well, what about the Old Testament? Yeah, uh, that was there, but it was all what God had said. You may say, well, what about the New Testament? Yeah, but that's all still to be written. You may say, ah, if you've got theological education, you will know that there is something between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's called the Apocrypha. Those are the books of Jewish history. Anyone read the Apocrypha? Can I? Mm, very few. You've got to remember that there are four words missing from the Apocrypha. And the four words missing are, thus saith the Lord. In other words, God is silent. Because God can speak through history, but he's not actually making any statements. You've got to wait for the coming king, for the babe born in a manger, for that to start again. Or look back into the Old Testament to see when God did that. So right now you've got silence, and God is going to break the silence with the babe in the manger, but he's going to start the singing up, because the singing hasn't begun until Jesus arrives. Joy and singing are going to come in partnership, and you read that in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 35. God is going to introduce the glory of the Lord. Now, glory is one of those hideous words that is terribly religious, and so we don't know what it means. The glory of God means one thing. It means the manifest presence of God. What that means is, it means God being seen among us. Jesus came to reveal who God is. Jesus came to live as God among us. That is why he was named Emmanuel, God is with us. That's the incredible thing about Christmas. You're not celebrating family. Although you can, and that's great. You're not celebrating a special season of the year. Though that's something to celebrate too. 
You are celebrating the fact that God didn't stay in his heaven, but God came to this earth to be with us. And let's make it a little bit more tricky. You're not celebrating that God is now here to be believed in, because believing in God is a pretty useless thing to ever try to do. That's because the word believing doesn't mean today what it meant before. Believing simply means resting yourself. I mean, I'd love to get Chris out here. I won't do it to him because I may get into trouble with the family. And they may not like it when I get Dad up here and I say, look out at the people there. Do you believe that I'm speaking? And he's going to be a good guy and say, yes. And then I'm going to say, well, do you believe that I'm reliable and trustworthy? And Ruth may not get to him in time to whisper (laughs) words of warning. And he may say, yes. And I may then say, well, gaze out there. Now stand here. Fall over backwards and I'll catch you. Now, the church's insurance policy is not brilliant. (laughs) It doesn't cover attempted personal harm inflicted on a member of the congregation by one of the clergy because it thinks that that wouldn't normally happen. And if I ask Chris to fall over backwards, he may be a really good guy and fall over and I am then supposed to catch him. And if I do catch him, uh, that would mean that my feet were not fused to my legs and he would have a bit more reason for trust. But it also means that believing is not just an academic recognition of someone who is standing behind you. It means a commitment from you to that person that he is reliable and you can be confident in him. And so believing in Jesus means falling over backwards into his arms. It means trusting him to catch you. It means reckoning that he's the God who's going to rescue you. It means believing that he's the God who can be relied on. It means all these good and great things that come as part and parcel of trusting Jesus. He's the Redeemer God. He's the God who rescues us. And that's why you get these wonderful words in Isaiah. The desert blossoms abundantly. There's a reversal of the normal seasons. There are rivers in the desert, streams in the wilderness, all these incredible things, because this God can be trusted. He's the God who breaks the silence and creates sinning. Yesterday, Ruth and I woke up in London. And we woke up in London staying with our closest friends, uh, a guy named Lyndon and his wife Celia. Now, Lyndon... Uh, is known extremely well in the UK because he's the James Dobson of Britain and has been for 30 years. So most people know who Lyndon is. Um, Celia is less well known. That's changing because Lyndon is now sort of semi-retired and Celia has become an Anglican priest, which I think is wonderful. Uh, she did it just inside the time limits and she's done it and she's official which is great so we woke up in London and we went down to get the taxi 
which wasn't there. Sudden cause of panic. Planes from London to here are not that regular. And I knew that I was going to get into real doo-doo with Jonathan if I didn't appear. <laughs> Therefore, whatever the caliber of the sermon, he still wanted me here. So uh, we find there's no taxi. This is 5 o'clock in the morning, and the taxi doesn't appear as the minutes tick away. We're not quite sure what to do. Because how close a friendship do you have, even one that has been around for 40 years, does it survive waking them up at five in the morning? So in the end, Ruth takes her life in her hands. I, I was chicken. And she rings, and Celia says, what's happened? And Ruth says, no taxi. So Celia says, oh, that's fine. Uh, I'll get out of bed, and four minutes later she was dressed and on her way to the car to get the car to us because they don't have a guest room uh, now in their retirement home. They put up their friends in the hotel, which is next door to them. So Celia arrives at the hotel saying, your cab has arrived. <laughs> I'm here. And Dooley drives us to the airport, which is a half-hour drive. That's called coming to the rescue. That's called meeting the emergency. That's what God does in the middle of a world that hasn't heard from a silent God forever. But this God is going to speak. More than in words, he's going to reveal himself. And he's not just going to bring a message to be obeyed. He's going to bring a life to open up for us. And it's an incredible moment as the coming king becomes the God who rescues us. If you keep reading in chapter 35, you then get strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, don't be afraid. I've got an easy job for you. Is that okay? Are you going to be obedient? Nice, simple task, biblical job. Is that okay? You've got to go home at lunchtime, and I want you to sit down and start with Genesis 1 and read to Revelation 22. Is that okay? It's just a simple, quick read through the Bible. It'll take you quite a time. All I want you to do is ask yourself one question. How many times does God say the same thing? How many times does God say, don't be afraid, don't be anxious, have faith? Okay? Are you up for that? No. <laughs> I mean, even the vicar's looking worried, so... <laughs> Let's make it a little easier. Let me give you the answer. And then you can check up on it if you don't believe me. Okay? The answer is, God says, don't be anxious, or you could use, don't be afraid, or you could use, don't worry, 
Or you could use, don't be fearful, anything similar to that. How often does God say it in Scripture? The answer is 366 times. Why does God repeat himself that often? Why does God say it 366 times? Because he figured that you would need one a day and an extra one for leap years. <laughs> and that's why if you go home and you want to do it, that's fine. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, you will get 366 times. God says, don't be frightened. Don't worry. It's all right. I'm coming. And that's what the whole message of Christmas is. You've got nothing to be afraid of. God's on his way. He's going to strengthen the weak. You get that in verse 3. He's going to make firm the feeble. In other words, God is going to come. And God is going to come in a very simple, wonderful way and give us what we need. I was preaching on the, this particular occasion uh, in a non-Anglican church. Despite that, God was still present. And I was preaching in this non-Anglican church, which is in California. And it was a church I'd never preached at before. And so they, they had me in on the Saturday to talk to a couple of the church leaders, just to check I was okay. They had listened on tape and everything else several times, so that they were comfortable. And they said, we, we're really thrilled you're here. We're really grateful to you making the journey because it's a long way to come from Connecticut to California. But we just want to make one little condition for you. Now, I've had various conditions given me by churches, particularly in California. I remember the one that insisted I wore a uh, but uh, a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> anyway, this particular place, I said, well, what's the condition? They said, we've listened to you a lot. Go easy on the miracles. I chuckled. I, I, I nearly laughed out loud because I knew what was coming. I mean, they were basically saying, we believe in them, but we don't want to hear about them. And we believe they happened 2,000 years ago. We're not sure they still happen today. And it would make us very uncomfortable if you told us they did. And if they'd listened to me a lot, they would know that they're likely to get a miracle somewhere or other. And so I got this big warning. God is moving his people from fear to faith, says Isaiah. But there God was moving his people from faith to fear. Frightened about what would happen if I preached a God of miracles. That they would be expected to produce some. And that's probably accurate. Because I would believe that. The amazing thing for me was that this God still does miracles today. And he still does them in wonderful ways. And he moves his people from silence to singing. And he moves his people from fear to faith. But then thirdly, in verses 5 and 6, he moves his people from the natural to the supernatural. 
and does the amazing. Because waters are going to break out in the wilderness. Streams are going to be there in the desert. <clears throat> God is going to encourage the exhausted <clears throat> and do what is impossible. The deaf are going to hear. The dumb are going to speak. The blind are going to see. The lame will even leap. God's going to do things. But we really struggled to believe it. You're looking ever so skeptical, some of you. Do you want a miracle? Is that all right? Quick one. Uh, it's in Iran. What happened was this. A friend of mine was the bishop. And one day, what he did was uh, he was talking to the young men and women of, of the church. And he said, look, I've got a job for you. What I want you to do is I want you to get in the church bus, load it up with Bibles, and drive it north to one of the villages, sell the Bibles, and speak about Jesus. Now, this was in Iran before it was as hostile as it is now, but it was hostile enough then. You were still going to go to prison for that you were still going to get tortured and beaten and everything else. And so, I know you'd be surprised by this, but the people looked a little apprehensive. <laughs> but when you've got a bishop on your case, you've really got to do what he says. And so the bishop is saying, I want you to do this. And then he turns to two of the new converts, two of the people who've just come to Jesus, and says, I want you to load up the bus and take it off to this northern village. And obediently at the weekend, they did exactly that. They loaded the church bus with Bibles and they drove off. These two guys feeling very worried. And as they got on the road, they suddenly realized that there was something missing. They hadn't asked the bishop the name of the village they'd got to go to. <laughs> they knew it was famous for being open to the word of God, but they didn't know which one it was or where it was. And it was five o'clock in the morning. Now, I don't know how often you've driven the streets of Tehran at five in the morning. I have. And if you have, you will know that the one vehicle that's around is the, basically the police car. The security police will be there and around, and they do watch the roads very carefully at night. And so as this vehicle goes off to the streets of Tehran and starts heading out of Tehran, they know they don't know where to go to, and there's nobody ordinary around to ask where to go. And then, as they go up this particular road, they realize that the steering wheel has jammed. It has locked into a right turn. They are stuck. They've got to go next right. So they do. And as they turn the corner, there is a vehicle. And they haven't seen one of those for 20 minutes. And so they, they think, well, what we'll do is we'll stop the vehicle. We'll ask this guy 
what's the road to so-and-so, and then we'll start the vehicle again. So they get out of the bus and they say, what's the road to so-and-so? And this guy who they've never met in their lives looks at them and says, you got Bible. They said, no, 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 you don't understand. We need the road to so-and-so. He said, yeah, and you got Bible. They said, but he said, look, I pray in my village for God. We need Bible. So I pray for Bible. God say, you go Tehran, five in morning, I send Bible. You got Bible. And they know they got a bus full of them. So very reluctantly, they said, well, well yes. He said, oh, good. I got life savings. Now, his life savings were 60 bucks that he'd got tucked away in his pocket. He pulled out his money, or the equivalent of, he pulled out his money and gave it to them because they felt they should take the money. That gave them the right to buy some more Bibles. So they took the money and they got in the back of the bus and they pulled out all these box loads of Bibles stuck them on the guy's back and sent him off into the night. So there he's going, reeling off with all these Bibles on his shoulder. And these two guys have got to get back into this bus with its jammed steering wheel. <laughs> so they get back into the bus and they drive back to the bishop. You may say, how did they do that? Well, the steering wheel wasn't jammed anymore and it's never jammed since, of course. You may say, why do you believe those kind of stories? Look, I have lived and worked with those guys for 30 years. I know only too well that it happens for them with such monotonous regularity that I stopped my powers of disbelief a long time ago. It's not worth it with the Iranians. And the amazing thing is we've got a miracle-working God. He just comes into the natural and gives the supernatural and he does what we couldn't do and so they drive back to the bishop and report that mission has been accomplished bibles are on their way people are ready for them mission fulfilled that's the kind of god we love and serve that's the kind of god who came at christmas he's not the kind of god who turns up occasionally He's the kind of God who comes time and again to demonstrate his grace among his people. And if you read Isaiah 35, you will discover that there are 10 things that God says. You may say, oh, hang on, not 10 more points. No, I'm just going to tell you what, what things God does. He brings an escape route, a way out. He brings a way of holiness to bring people into he has given something reserved for those prepared for it in advance. He brings a way for the clean. He provides a way of safety where there aren't going to be any lions in lion-infested territory. He, he provides something that, if naturally foolish, is still going to be there for everybody ready to be kept on target by him. He brings a way for the redeemed, the rescued, to walk. He brings a way that is free from all danger. He brings a way that is full of joyful shouting. 
He brings something that is there for the ransomed to return to where they once were. He brings where sorrow and sighing will rapidly depart. It was A.W. Tozer who was the first to say, a man and a woman are as holy as they want to be. Are you holy? If you want to be, he'll give you that. Are you ready to be used by him? If you want to be, you will be. Are you ready to hear God's voice speaking to you? If you're ready for that, he will provide it. He is the God who fulfills our wildest dreams because he is God and he's not waiting for us to do it for him. He's waiting for us to be ready for him to do it for us. This way is reserved for those ready to walk on it, ready to believe, ready to know that this God can speak and this God can work, ready for God to bring the gladness and joy that we can't conjure up ourselves. And that's the message of Isaiah 35. That's the message of Christmas. God wants to be real to you. God wants to reveal himself to me. God wants to bring each of us all that we need. You may say, hang on. How do I find that? Well, it's simple. Fall over backwards. No, not literally. Remember the church's insurance is defective. God wants a people prepared to trust him prepared to believe in him, prepared to allow him to speak through them, prepared to be ready for him to do something. And so I came to church this morning. But on the way, I passed the cafe. Jonathan had always said, go in, it's good. And he'd taken me before, so I believed him. So I thought I'd stop for breakfast. And I did. And I found myself sitting at a table and the guy next to me turns around and says, are you new here? Yes. Oh, where are you from? And so we start talking. And then he says, where are you going? I said, to church. He said, what are you going to do? I said, preach, I hope. <laughs> he said, what times are the services? He said, I've just moved to the area. I'll see you when we. That's the kind of God we love. That's the kind of God who serves. He's the God who rescues us, brings us into what he has for us, not we, what we had designed, and makes it a really wonderfully happy Christmas. God bless you this Christmas. May the God who loves you reveal himself to you and reveal himself through you to this world where he's put us. Amen.